Church. My name is Josh. We're so glad you're here. That song is called Scars to Your Beautiful. And if you don't know, we're in the middle of our Crave series. And today we're talking about body image and all of the aspects that come with that. And so we're really excited about today. I think it's going to be a powerful day. 
powerful day for a lot of us. So as we continue our service, I have a couple things, just two things to tell you about. First, you've heard me talk about it a lot because I'm really excited, and it's Kaleo Kids. Uh, we are That is our arts kids program that we do with our school partner. Half the kids are from West Utica Elementary. Half the kids are here. If you have an elementary kid, K through five, this is for you. But I've been saying it a lot, and I realize that some of you may not even know what they do. And so we wanted just a a little 30-second clip of a music video that they wrote and danced and sang to this last summer just to get a little taste of what you can expect to see here at Shelby Campus with your kids and the kids of everybody that goes here. So check this out real quick. But he knows you better than you know yourself. I was going to learn the dance and do it for you, but I feel like that would have not been as cool. But is that not amazing? These kids wrote that. The girl who sang that actually wrote that. They performed it. They actually, that's from our summer camp, and they learned that in a week. It was unbelievable. So if you have a kid, that's what they get to be a part of. We are so excited. I really am so excited. I'm not just saying that because I actually get to teach the music, and my wife, Abby, gets to teach the dance that we're doing, and it is going to be so much fun. So you need two things. If you have a kid, K through 5, and you haven't signed up yet, you can sign up in the lobby or in the K Kids uh, area Make sure to sign them up. We start on February 1st. Second, if you are signing a kid up or if you already have signed a kid up, today we're doing a little five-minute just assessment to see where they're at so we can make sure they're in, in the right groups and whatnot. Make sure you see Jade in the lobby and you can check in for a time to do that. It will take no time. All right, if you were here last week during our greeting, we had Kristen and Pam kind of ramble through really fast a bunch of small group leaders and and community uh, options that we have for you. And so this week, we're going to do the same thing in the lobby, but instead of having a bunch of group leaders up here, I wanted to invite um, what some could call experts on small groups. And so if David and Laura could come up here, you can give them a hand. They, uh, they have pretty much done it all at Kensington. This is David and Laura McLaughlin. Uh, they're in a small group currently, right? Yes, and we lead one. Yes, and yes. Then we have a lot of different community options, and one of them is classes. And you guys have done Financial Peace University, right? We have. Okay, yes. when was that? It was about eight years ago now. Okay, and can you kind of share why you decided to sign up for that? <clears throat> I didn't want to. <laughs> Um, so, so to get real with you guys, um, you know, finances, peace, those don't seem to go together. And in our case, um, I'm the spender. So, um, you have nice it, shoes. I yeah, can tell. Th- thank you. Yeah. Um, thanks for noticing. Um, but yeah, actually it was Laura's uh, suggestion. Our small group leader at the time was saying, Hey, we should do this. You know, Dave Ramsey is, it's really good for you guys. And, um, I was a very big skeptic and didn't really want to open up to a bunch of strangers our personal uh, intimate details on our finances. Well, it turned out not to be that at all. It turned out to be doing something in community that many people avoid talking about. Um, and it, it really changed. I think it was transformational 
to some degree for our relationship because things that we didn't talk about um, or, you know, there may be fingers pointed, hey, you spent this on that, you know, um, became, hey, we agreed we were going to tithe regularly. We're going to sign up um, for, you know, e-tithe. And that takes it out of the, oh, what do we have left over kind of discussion. And that created friction and, and um, that that really did give us a piece uh, about it. And then to live off um, the, the rest and be intentional about how much we actually save for the future. And it, it made a big difference in um, both, I think, our family and our, our relationship. Yeah, that's awesome. If you could, Laura, what are some of the things that you guys got that changed your life, changed your relationship that yeah. you got just from this one class? Yeah, so, um, you know, as David was talking about, you know, we, there were things that we avoided talking about, and this really brought to life for us to, you know, really start talking about these things. I think, like, Starbucks was the top of our list, um, and we made some sacrifices there, didn't we? Um, and so we just, we've carried that on throughout, you know, these eight years. We're currently in the middle of building a house, and so you want to talk about stress and, and talking about budget and money, for sure, you know, that, that comes with that. Um, and really going through FPU has given us um, some governance around how we, we do that. And so it's just been, I can't recommend it strong enough. Sign up, sign up. Yeah. And then you guys, so when you meet in the group, it's not just, you're not just getting a lecture from a class, right? It's kind no, of like a small group setting, right? It's, it's great. And it doesn't matter if you're single, if you're married with young kids, if you're, you know, you've got kids in college, it gives you a discipline that you can carry through your budget um, wherever you are in life. And it really brought us together um, to really be able to talk about that. Yeah. I love when me and my wife did it actually uh, like three-ish years ago, we were engaged actually. And so we're this newly engaged young 20s couple and they put you in little small groups and one of the couples we were with it was their first time in Financial Peace University but they've been married for like 40 years and so not only did we get uh, the finance aspect of it but we almost kind of got little like mini marriage counselors it was yeah. really good so yeah. another thing you've also not only have you done FPU but you've done Alpha correct? Yes we did Alpha gosh about a year and a half ago and we were servers in a, in a group um, and that experience was just really mind blowing we had members, team members come together that were all walks of life. Some were happy, some were really just curious, some were really frankly angry. And it just created a, a healthy atmosphere to have some real dialogue. And that actually launched our small group that we host every other Monday. Man, that's awesome. So give a hand for them. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank you for serving and you're giving your house. We love you guys. So like they said, FPU and Alpha and small groups have changed their life. They changed my life. I'm not just saying this. I really, I love being here in the morning. I love seeing all your faces and singing with you and talking at you like I am right now. But your life is going to change when you get in a group. And so today in the lobby, there's going to be people that are representing the classes that we offer, the small groups, and then the bigger uh, groups like the big men's group and the big uh, women's group encounter in the lobby. Make sure you check that out. Um, I really think it's worth your time. Uh, so as we continue, I want everyone to stand up, say hi to someone, give them a smile and uh, say good morning. Love you know it's a feeling 
Pinterest, Facebook. I watch YouTube videos. I read self-help books. How to be beautiful at every age. How to feel great. How to be a healthier you. All the newest, bestest, smartest, greatest ways to care for yourself. Uh-huh. Hide your hips. Oh yeah. Hide your wrinkles. Hide yourself. How to heal yourself, free yourself, love yourself. Drop 10 pounds in two weeks. How to drop 10 pounds in 10 days. How to drop 10 pounds in two hours. How to curb your cravings. How to tell good carbs from bad carbs. How to eat chocolate and still lose weight. <laughs> That's what I want to know. I figured out how to have fuller lips, better eyes, better surgeries, better workouts, a better life because I have the right lip gloss. Uh-huh. Will it ever not matter that I'm too fat or too skinny, have crow's feet, laugh lines, furrowed brows, age spots, or wide hips? Can you say large curd cottage cheese? How do you get the body of a 20-something when you're 40-something? Doesn't that sound ridiculous? I mean, how do you get that body without liposuction, spanks, eye work, cheek work, lip work, workouts, any work? Why can't I sag, sink, shrink, if that's what my body wants to do? Why can't my fat pants be my regular pants? When will I hear you say, who I am is enough? Quite enough. Without all this, is that possible? Will it ever be that I don't have to work so hard to be something that I can't be, won't be, fight to be, to make you like me, love me, see me? It didn't get me the man. It didn't get me the job. It didn't make me happy. It didn't get me self-esteem, self-worth, self-anything. It didn't get me more love, more attention, more hope, more, 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 more. Will you ever just see me as enough? Will I ever hear you say that? 
people I see me as enough? Why can't a 40-something look like a 40-something? Why can't I sag, sink, shrink if that's what my body wants to do? Why can't I? Why can't my body do that? such a powerful moment to witness such an incredible monologue to hear because I really do believe that this is one of those things that we're going to talk about over the next several moments that just really resonates with I think almost everybody because each and every one of us if we were to stare in the mirror long enough would see something about our body that we wish we could change something that was bigger something that was smaller something that was thinner something that didn't protrude as much something that was just a little different than the way that it is 
What's funny is it's not always that way. At least it wasn't always that way. I have a five-year-old little girl. She just turned five yesterday. Lila had her birthday party at our house, and, you know, we were scrambling to clean it all up and make people think that we live a different way than we do, um, you know, and we were trying to, to, to get everybody ready, and so we had just a gaggle of little girls. Isn't that what it's called, a gaggle? I, think, I don't know, it's a troop, a, a herd, I don't know. There's just a bunch of little five-year-old girls running around our house. And uh, it's really funny to watch them come in because, you know, little girls typically are somewhat timid and shy at first. You know, they're walking in someone's house. They can take off their shoes, you know, find a place for the jacket. And they're just kind of there. And my little girl is, is probably the polar opposite of that in, in any conceivable way. She walks up. You know, I'm, I'm introducing myself to the parents. Hi, how's it going? She's just like, hey, come on in. Come, let me show you my And she, like, just takes them off. Like, the mom's like, you know, because... She's just that way. She is the most vibrant, loving, you know, uh, uh, generous, just kind-hearted type of person. She's enthusiastic about life. So she had on her special tutu, and he had a little hat that says, I'm the birthday girl, just in case anyone was wondering. You know, and she is just so vibrant and full of energy. And as soon as all the kids got there, they got to the point where they were just having a blast. You know, they're playing with dolls. They're playing with, you know, I had this little thing set up in the basement. They're running with their socks and like sliding across the smooth floor and running into stuff. They were just having so much fun just being themselves. That's one of the things I love about my little girl. Is she loves herself. And she'll tell you. She has no problem whatsoever going, I'm pretty much awesome. I think you're right, little girl. <laughs> I think so. She's like, yeah, it's because it's true. <laughs> like, okay, cool. Awesome. Very good. She loves her hair. She loves her eyes. She loves her smile. She loves her body. What's so funny to me is I don't know how she learned this. I didn't teach her this. I don't know if her mom's out of this or not. But whenever you take a picture of my little girl, you say, hey, Lila, can I take your picture? She goes, sure. <laughs> uh, is that all right? Back when, I don't know. It's one of the... But, she always pops the elbow. I don't know when that became a thing, but every picture everywhere you ever see of a girl on anywhere, any Instagram, anything, it's like, you know, it's just, and so she picked it up. I don't even, she doesn't have social media, but here she is. It's like, we were taking a picture with my mom sitting in a chair. I'm like crouched down. Lila's kind of, you know, tucked in there and taking the picture. She's like, hold on. <laughs> what is that? You know, but she loves herself and she loves seeing pictures of herself. She'll get one of our iPads and we'll get it and we'll like get it back. We're like, out of room? What do you mean out of storage? This thing has gigs and we'll go into the photos and there's 7,000 pictures of her foot, you know, or anything else. She's just like, because she just loves herself. What's so sad for me as a father is knowing, not guessing, not thinking, knowing there will be a day where that will not be true. There will be a day where either society or one of her friends will point out something about her that isn't right, isn't normal, isn't the status quo, doesn't match up with society's norms, somehow sets her to a place where she's lesser than. And she's going to go home and she's going to look in the mirror and she's going to see whatever that thing is and she's going to believe him. And she'll spend the rest of her life most likely in this twisted game that we have in society called not good enough. My hips aren't good enough. My form isn't good enough. My smile isn't good enough. Everything's not good enough. Because it's the world we live in. Now granted, while I am very, very honest and open to say I believe this is more of an issue for women in our society today than it is for men, I don't think anybody escapes it. But I think the reason it's such a bigger deal for women than it is for men is because women's bodies for the last 
150, 200, 500,000 years have been used to sell things. And because they are appealing and because they're object of desire for many, many people who have spending power, we have used their bodies and objectified them as beings in order to hawk our wares and make sure people sign up for things. And therefore, it's on every cover of every magazine and every picture and everything. And we take those pictures, and then when we get the picture done of the person that, by the way, only 7% of the world even looks like, we Photoshop it to make sure it's absolutely perfect and completely unattainable and absolutely unrealistic. And then we say, if you don't look like this, you're not enough. But in recent years, it's kind of been the same for guys. You go to an action movie, and you see that dude with the ripped six-pack and the big chest, and you're like, oh, that's cool, he's a man, oh. Wish I looked like that. And you go into the mirror and you're like, not even close. You know, it's just what it is. But we try. And we try because we realize that the beautiful people of the world seem to have it easier, seem to have everything put, to, put together for them, seem to have all the easiest things in life. At least so it appears. But what we don't see is the hidden pain and anguish and misery that so many people live in as they try to attain something that they can't be. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in the middle of a series right now called Crave. And what we're looking at are the different addictions, the different cravings we have in life that have the capability and the potential to entirely derail us from what it is that God has called us to do or to be. The first week we talked about approval, and this week kind of is, is sisters to that, group, that, that talk. But we talked about the idea that so many of us do so many things so that others will like us. And we'll destroy ourselves and our reputations just to get that nod of approval last week we talked about substances if you weren't here last week i really encourage you to catch it on our youtube channel or or, you know watch any of our campuses really because if that is an issue for you i'm telling you you got to deal with that before you deal with anything sometimes we turn to substances to fill the void within us but when we realize that christ is more than enough for us we begin to build a, a pathway in our lives to be able to overcome and break through those addictions and this week we're talking about being addicted to our bodies and we just can't say no to our bodies to kind of kick off this whole idea, um, I just kind of want to bring back this, this one statement that we've been using on all of our weeks, and it's this. How we handle our cravings will determine the direction and the quality of our lives. The things we crave, whether it's attention and approval, a specific substance, or body image, or like next week we'll talk about our digital addictions. So expect all of you to drag your teenagers here for that one. Um, whatever it is, how we deal with those things will greatly, greatly determine and affect the quality of our life and where it goes. So last week, if you remember, I introduced you to a very, very dear friend of mine, a guy by the name of Jack Wilson. Jack Wilson, just if you don't know him, he was a uh, career psychologist. He taught over at Oakland University. He was a consultant to the U.S. military. Uh, he is, just has a resume a mile long on all of these topics and, and, and subjects. And so we picked his brain over the course of several uh, interviews to kind of ask him the questions that we thought maybe you would ask if you had the opportunity to sit down with someone like him. And so what I'd love to do to open up this idea because this is a complex issue. I want to share what Jack has to say about it. And while we listen to what Jack has to say, we're also going to receive our offering.
We have communion later on today, and so we want to make sure that those two things, you have some space between them. So if you're newer here, maybe this is your first time, and you're saying, you know, what's this? Well, we receive offering. This is where people give back financially to God out of what God has given to them. And we do this because we absolutely believe God is on the move in this group of people. That God is doing incredible things in Detroit and Pontiac and Utica and around the world as we together combine our resources and align our resources for the kingdom of God. And so whether you're here for the first time, you've been here for a million times, I encourage you to give, I encourage you to be generous, as God has been generous to you. So as these pouches go through your row, thank you so much for trusting us and for partnering with us in this way. But let's listen together as Jack opens up the topic of the addiction we have to our own bodies. One of the uh, cravings we're going to talk about in the series is the body. Mm-hmm. And it's actually... Again, a real tension because you want to take care of your body. Mm -hmm. It can become something that gets out of control, Mm -hmm. either with fitness or eating, overeating, Mm -hmm. under. So talk about that a little bit. When does the body become a danger? Well, the body has two pieces to it, as I I understand the question. One is reality and the other is not reality. Okay, when we're in a circumstance or situation as we are in our culture with an absolute pandemic uh, of obesity uh, and all the diseases that go with obesity that's something that we have to be aware of and you know and, 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 and alert and we have to have good nutrition we have to have exercise I have so many people over the years who have who've come to me about you know weight issues you know how can I lose weight how can I control my weight uh, and I'm I'm really a person who believes that the simple and easy are not synonyms never have been never will be but when someone says that to me, I, uh, I, I give a, a simple response. Uh, eat less, exercise more. Um, and then you'll have the probability that you'll have you know, less of an, of an issue you know, of, with controlling your weight. And that's really actually research-based. It's not just you know, something that, I've, that I throw out there. Um, but just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's easy because there are all those other variables in there in terms of, of cravings and emotional balance in our lives and you know, all, the, all the kinds of things that are made available to us. It is such a natural thing for that to develop into a craving and then for many, many people, food becomes an addiction. Uh, and there are two kinds of addictions, Dave. Uh, there's a substance addiction and a process addiction. Eating is a real difficult one because it's both a process addiction and a physical addiction for, for many people. Uh, so, you know, that, that's a tough one. That's why we see so many people who struggle with it and we have to have empathy and care and concern for them. And uh, just because I can almost in a cavalier sense say uh, uh, eat less, exercise more, that doesn't mean that it's easy to do it just because it's simple. Yeah, and a physical craving or addiction. They're different, but how? The process addiction um, in its purest sense, most addictions are a combination, of course, but the process addiction in its purest sense doesn't have a physical part to it. Okay? And I'm going to go back to the body image, uh, Im- body and image thing. You know, that's a process addiction in many ways, whether we're talking about all the way at the extreme you know, of, of anorexia or whether we're talking about uh, people being obsessed about having the perfect body. Culture sets up norms, you know, and the cultural norm that has been set up uh, for us uh, is lean, six-pack, no bulges, you know, all of those kinds of things. That just isn't realistic. So in the process of attempting to get there, 
uh, and in trying to get as close to that as we can, we, we can become obsessed with exercise and we can become obsessed with controlling food. And that is the process that we have become addicted to. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So the physical addiction then is actually something. Physical. It can actually be the food, the physical, the, you can be physically addicted, you know, to, to food because it triggers uh, all kinds of different kinds of things. You know, some of us are very, very sensitive to our palate. We get great pleasure from eating certain kinds of foods prepared in certain kinds of ways. Um, and others of us uh, become uh, addicted to the physiological response that we get. Mm. Uh, and then others of us get physiologically addicted to never feeling full. Mm. Uh, and again, that's a, that's a physiological and, you know, and psychological thing. I don't know if you're like me. I hear something like that and I'm like, I need to watch that like five more times. Because <laughs> there's just so many pieces to it. And so in the remainder of my time, I want to kind of unpack a few of the things that Jack spoke on and begin looking at what I believe God has prepared as a way out for us to move through and become different on the way out of this thing. I personally have, uh, have struggled a little bit with body image. You know, as a kid, I was like most kids. I didn't necessarily think that I was anything lesser than or more than. Everything that, that basically would determine my worth and value was settled on the playground, you know. As long as I could make it, you know, through whatever obstacle, whatever thing it was, you know, then I was fine. I remember going into middle school and watching other kids begin to develop sooner than me. I was kind of a little bit of a late bloomer. You know, I was like 20 or something. No. Um, I, was, I was a little bit older, you know, I was probably like 14 or 15 or something like that. And I remember seeing other kids shooting up and, you know, sprouting hair and stuff and going, man, I just I, I feel like lesser than. I was always very thin, very skinny. And I remember people would make fun of me for that. It's, it, it hurt. It, it was a struggle. It was never a really big struggle, though. It was just something that was kind of one of those things. But I remember when I would look in the mirror, I didn't necessarily like what I saw. I think for the purposes of us being together today, I want to be transparent with you. So I figured the best way that I could share just a little bit of my struggle with you is just to show you a picture of me with my shirt off. So, uh, you know, this is kind of what I struggle with. Um, I know, right? It's horrible. It took me years, honestly. Years and years and years of working on Photoshop to get that good. Um, <laughs> I made that last night and I was like, hmm, I put that on a poster as like a, a motivator in the gym or something. I don't think so. Honestly, though, when I look in the mirror, I'd, I'd like to see that. That'd be great, right? I mean, guys, honestly, wouldn't you, if you didn't have to do anything to earn it, wouldn't you want that, right? All things being equal, do you want this or do you want that? I want that. That looks good. That probably land me the job or the girl or whatever. But to be honest, I don't see that when I look in the mirror. When I look in the mirror, I tend to see something that more likely resembles this. Um, this is kind of a little more me. And I know, I know, you're like, come on, Josh, you can't stand up in front of us and tell us you... To be honest with you, I kind of do. I mean, it's not like that, obviously, but I don't see all the work I've put in. I don't see the 5 a.m. mornings busting into the gym. I don't see the progress that I've made in the areas that I've focused on. I see all the shortcomings. I see the fact that at 36 years old, it's really hard to get rid of that spare tire around your midsection. And I carry these little saddlebags, like camel humps. They just won't go away no matter what I do. <laughs> Except maybe eat right. That would help. But I look at myself in the mirror, and it's a, it's a version of body dysmorphia. Because I don't know what I really look like. I only know what my brain tells me I look like. 
And when there's toxic stuff swirling around in my brain, all I see is all the things that I'm not and all the things I wish I could be. Maybe you're the same way. Maybe you experience that because this is some stats that we gathered from around the country. Do you know that one out of five men and two out of five women would trade three to five years of their life to achieve their weight goals? That's crazy, isn't it? Which in all actuality, if they reached their weight goals, they'd probably add three to five years of their life. But we'd be more than willing to trade it for that. Young girls really experience this more than any. There was a, a stat that, that, that was done from a survey that said that young girls are more afraid of becoming fat than they are of nuclear war, cancer, or losing their parents. Whew. On top of that, 80% of 10-year-old girls have tried dieting. What? Like, really? Are you kidding me about this? We've gotten to a place as a society now that a 10-year-old prepubescent girl whose body hasn't even turned into what it's going to be yet decides that they need to craft what they eat to change what God gave them? Are you kidding me? And yet that's the world we live in, isn't it? Because at some point, you'll be told by social media, you'll be told by friends, you'll be told by the magazines and things that we see that you're not good enough. And it starts in childhood. <clears throat> Typically... With one of these. Ooh, careful. Put that back up there. I'm going to pull a Janet Jackson. Um, <laughs> wardrobe malfunction. Um, I have a little girl in my house, and therefore I have a plethora of these little things. Barbie. Came out in the 1960s. It's the first toy, believe it or not, to be marketed to children instead of to the adults that own children, or own, raise children, whatever. Um, <laughs> But this little figure changed the course of human history because it was made to be a caricature of a woman. A woman can't actually look like this. If they did, they would be malfunctioning as a person. But yet we have these little dolls and we look at them and we say, she's tall, she's slender, her eyes are huge. You know, she's got this perfect neckline and body line and leg line and foot line. Everything you look at, all the lines are exactly what you would want to have as your ideal. And then we perpetuate that with things like this. Cosmopolitan magazine, where we can all look at it and feel worse about ourselves. You know, what are the, the things we get to hear about this? 24 sexy moves to power up your love life. The easiest hot bod workout. Ooh. Finding your happy place. Steamy, shirtless guy. Okay, anyway. Um, I don't feel uncomfortable even reading the title of this thing. But then you look at Jessica Alba and you look at yourself and you're like, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things does not belong. But the truth is, it's not you, it's her. Because she doesn't even look like that. But artists can render her that way. and make us all feel bad about ourselves. And so we have these dolls, we have these magazines, but in all actuality, if we saw the reality of things, it would change the way that we operate. As a matter of fact, there was an artist that made the decision to take a Barbie doll and redesign her, spent a couple months of his life redesigning her with a 3D printer to make her more proportional to the average woman in America. And this is what they came up with. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? The one on the right is a normal, average human being. The one on the left is Barbie. And you look at the neck, just the neck. Can you imagine if somebody really walked around with a neck like the one on the left? People would call her giraffe. <laughs> but what's so funny to me, and this is the one that gets me, when they're next to each other, which one is your eye drawn to? It's strange, isn't it? Because in relationship to Barbie, the other woman looks, you know, she's shorter, 
Maybe she's got a little more fullness to her body. I don't know. But the truth is, if you saw her in real life, you'd look at her and go, oh yeah, she's healthy. The other one's an alien. You know, because this person is six foot one, a hundred pounds, has an orange on a toothpick and a size three shoe. She probably would not be able to walk around without falling over. And yet, this is the ideal that we put up for everybody to follow. The point is this. We have every reason in the world to believe that our body is not what it should be. And yet, there's an opposing story. It's the story that God is telling of who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be. You see, this whole body image thing is so confusing for us because it's not like the other addictions we've talked about. You know, if we were to talk about substances, the advice I would give you is if you are addicted to a substance, your number one priority is getting into a place in life where you never do that substance ever again. You go, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, if you're an alcoholic, just get into a place in life where you can never do alcohol again. Never drink it, never have a sip, because you just can't handle that. But you can't do that with body image issues. It's like, oh, are you too heavy? Well, you know what? Just don't ever eat again. That'll fix it right up. Yeah, like 40 days, you'll be dead. You know, you can't just not eat. you got to find a relationship with food that's healthy. You, know, you can't just tell somebody that works out too much, just don't ever work out again. You should just lay on the couch forever. No, that doesn't work. So it's this thing that it's like it's such a complicated thing. And some people, they struggle with not eating nearly enough. And others, they struggle with eating too much. And sometimes it's working out. And so just to kind of explain this a little bit better, there's two spectrums we have to look at. One is the body spectrum. Some of us have an extreme body issue. One being neglect. Many of us, we neglect our bodies. We don't appreciate our bodies. We eat things we shouldn't eat. We do things we shouldn't do. We take in substances we shouldn't take in. And then we look in our lives and we see this body that is crumbling before us. And then on the other side of that spectrum, you have body worship. You have people that look at their body as the temple of the holy me, you know. And I take everything so seriously that all ought to be perfect. And I will undergo the knife. I will undergo whatever uncomfortable thing I need to undergo in order to be the perfect version of myself. And it becomes an obsession. You see, this one is one that has a lot to do with self-discipline. Because it's about exercise. It's about how much work you're putting into your body to make it look the way and act the way and behave the way that you want it to. Then there's the other side of the equation that has to do with our food. And then it's an extreme eating issue. You know, it's an issue of, on one side, you have people that undereat. That's anorexia. That's bulimia. That's people that, on the one end of things, will starve themselves to death because in the mirror, when they see themselves, all they see is fat. Then you have people on the other side of the thing. That food is the issue. And it's an addiction to sugar, to salt, to fatty foods. And it causes problems. And the interesting thing about both of these is they each have an underlying consequence and they have an underlying reason. You see, when it comes to the extreme body, neglect typically brings out an unintended consequence of guilt and shame. Because the more you neglect your body, the more you wish you were doing something about it. That's why joining a gym on the first day of the year is a horrible idea. Because there's a lot of people that have been going since November and December. And then you get there, you're on their treadmill. not going to name any names. I'm telling you. It's annoying. It's my treadmill, man. There's a bunch of them here. Just get off. I'm sorry. I'm a jerk. Um, Anywho, you go in the very first part of the year. Why? Because everyone's feeling guilt and shame from all the junk they ate all throughout the holidays. It's a new year. It's a new time. It's time to get right. Time to get ready. Best time to join a gym is February when everyone else has given up. (laughs) And then you can go in and actually get on the machines you want to get on. 
Because we struggle with that guilt and shame. But on the other side of it, it breeds pride and arrogance. Maybe you've been that person that went to the gym and you don't look like you belong in the gym. Because you've probably never been there before and it's been a long time. And what stinks and what I get so angry about is when I see people who have been at the gym for a long time or maybe they were just genetically predisposed to look like an Adonis of some sort. And when you get to the gym and you're there huffing and puffing and doing the best you can, they're snickering. They're pointing or they're judging you. It's not right. And yet, those who have that body, it can have a tendency of creating pride and arrogance. But when it comes to the overeating or the undereating, when we look at that and we deal with it, one of the things we begin to realize is that people that undereat, it is typically, psychologists will say, it's an issue of control. So I've known many women who have struggled with anorexia or with bulimia or eating disorders of certain kinds, working as a middle school pastor for a long time and working with high schoolers and college students. There's no shortage of people that struggle with this issue. And typically, I remember speaking with one particular woman who shared with me. She said, you know, that whole thing comes from me. It's an issue of control. When my life is out of control, when there's things that I can't make happen, childhood issues of lacking control over traumatic circumstances, if I can't control anything else, you know what I can control? I can control what I eat. I control that. And it almost always stems from a trauma or a hurt earlier on in life. But on the other side, you have the overeaters. And the overeaters, for them, it's about comfort. Because I don't know about you, but food is really good at that. I love food. It's my favorite thing to eat. (laughs) Seriously, any food is my favorite thing. I love food. I am like a foodie. Call me a food addict. I have it every day, sometimes three times. (laughs) But honestly, I make a joke, but... Seriously, I struggle with that. And again, you may look at me and say, ah, how are you going to say you struggle with that? Well, I do. Because I busted at the gym three or four days a week. I work hard to try and grow and get stronger. I'm working towards goals. I want to be on a TV show one day. I'll tell you about it later. But I have, I have these goals and things. But you know the problem is at 9 o'clock at night, I really love ice cream. Mm. Hudsonville Creamery. Bananas Foster's ice cream. You take that, pour a little extra caramel on it, get some vanilla wafers, crush it up on top. Oh my gosh! It'll change your life. Sorry, I'm triggering some of you right now, I know. But it's comforting. There's nothing like having a cruddy day and then going home and finding chicken dumplings on the stove and then having a big bowl of ice cream and sitting down for your favorite four hours of television. You know, it just does everything you need to make you feel okay again. Just like heroin or crack cocaine. Or alcohol. It's just another thing that we replace that which we ought to be looking at for something that we are. And so we deal with these things and we look at these things. We ask the question, how are we supposed to overcome this? Is it a behavior? Is it a practice? The issue that we run into is that for so many of us that try and get these things on track, we make the misunderstanding, we have the misassumption that it's an issue of patterns. We think if all I could do is just make sure I get up in the morning and go to the gym, or if all I can do is make sure that all I do is buy the right food, so I'm surrounded by the right food, so all I eat is the right food. If I could just change these things about my patterns, I'd be fine. But the problem is those patterns are aren't easy. They're simple. Eat more, eat less, exercise more, but they're not easy. And for the vast majority of dieters, they gain their weight back and then some. Because it just doesn't work in the long term. Because every outward pattern stems from an inward belief. And until we fix our beliefs, until we fix our spirit, we'll never be able to fix our body image and our self-esteem. 
Paul had a lot to say about this subject. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of the apostles. He wrote most of the New Testament. And in a letter to a group of people in Galatia, he writes this letter that we call Galatians. And in it, he's talking about what it means to follow Jesus as a brand new Christian. Because many of these people had never even heard of God before he came into the picture. And they're learning what it means to follow him. And he shares this really interesting insight that I believe strikes to the heart of what we're talking about. It's in Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. He says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So you are not to do whatever you want. I love that last phrase, so you are not to do whatever you want. What he's doing is he's explaining the situation we live in. You see, without Christ, you don't have that war. You're actually okay because you're just all in one camp. You have the flesh, and the fleshly desires, you give way to those because you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to overcome them. But what we believe as followers of Jesus is that Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead to bring hope and healing and forgiveness to the entire population of the planet Earth. We believe that, and we believe that those of us that follow Jesus, he gives us something called the gift of the Holy Spirit. That means that God literally lives within us, and we can call on him for power, for wisdom, for clarity, for strength, to overcome our addictions and to overcome the things that are nailing us every single day. And what he says in here, he says, listen, there's going to be this struggle. You're always going to have these two pieces. And the way that you deal with it is not by trying to starve one side. It's by feeding the other. You feed your spiritual self. You feed your connection to Christ. You feed your dependence on him. And the other is starved. He says, if you do this, you won't do this. So in other words, when you have the desire to do something, don't do that. Because chances are that's probably... The flesh. But when you live in the spirit, you don't gratify the flesh. Jesus himself said it a different way, but he said it so eloquently and wonderfully to a group of disciples sitting around him. He was most likely either walking through a vineyard or had been talking about one because he uses this language and everyone around him would have understood it. He says in John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do, you say, nothing. You're just a branch. You need the vine. And so many of us live our lives attached to ourselves, attached to our addictions, attached to our cravings, attached to our, 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 our polluted world, to our little devices, to our televisions and magazines, to everything telling us who we are. But just like an addiction to alcohol or other substances, the addiction to body image is beaten when we get a new identity. When we place our identity squarely in the hands of Jesus and we say, Jesus, who do you say I am? Because Jesus doesn't say you're too fat or you're too thin. Jesus says you're my child and I love you. He says you are the one I died for. You're the one I came back to life for. You're the one that I did everything for because I love you with everything you are. You are my child. You are my, my princess. You're my prince. You are my family and heirs of the kingdom of God. That's your identity. When you get that right, I'm telling you, everything else falls into place. Because then you find purpose. And purpose brings us to the place where we realize our body is not our purpose. This is just a hotel room. I'm living in this thing for a couple days in the scope of eternity. For those of you that joined us at leadership or, or gathering last uh, Friday, or this last Friday, we got to hear a message with that in it. 
You see, this thing's just a hotel room. This isn't a real thing. I'm not going to buy sheets for this thing. You know, I'm not going to buy towels for this thing. It's just a hotel room. This earthly vessel that I'm in is going to die one way or the other. Things are going to sag. Things are going to break. Things are going to stop working, and eventually I'm going to die. But the beauty is, is that it's just this thing. I get to leave this thing behind, and I get a new one in heaven, and that one's forever. And when I got that purpose in my mind, I can live differently. And then lastly, you have to have the people. You have to have the people. You need people in your life that look at you and say, you know what? You're looking a little thin. How are you doing with that eating disorder? Or people to say, you know what? Honestly, it seems like you're letting yourself go a little bit. Everything okay? Do you have people in your life that do that? I'm going to probably just answer for you and say, no, no, you don't. Even in small groups, that doesn't happen, right? It's not like you walk in and you're like, hey, everybody, good to see you. You look fat. You okay? No, seriously, you're like swollen. Was it a bee sting? What was it? You don't say that to each other. You, know, you don't come in and say, ah, oh, looks like that anorexia is maybe kicking up a little bit right now. You might want to think of that. You don't do that. It's rude. It's, un, un, it's uncouth, whatever that means. You know, It's not a thing you do. But to be completely honest, there are men and women in this place that need someone desperately to go to them and say, listen, are you okay? Because what I'm seeing right now is not healthy. What I'm seeing right now scares me. And because I love you, I'm telling you. And you probably won't find that in a small group. But I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, it sounds like a salesman. I don't even care. You'll find that at Celebrate Recovery. What a lot of people don't realize is our program on Monday nights at Troy and Tuesdays at Orion. Celebrate Recovery is an environment where people come together and deal with their junk. They deal with the, the stuff that's holding them back. And the majority of people that go to Celebrate Recovery aren't addicted to a substance. There's a lot of people there with substance abuse issues. But there's people there with body image issues, with eating disorders, with other addictions to things like pornography or sexual addiction or, you know, to anything that you want to name. There's a group of people there that are working the steps to get out. Because you need it. You need the people that are going to ask you the questions, the people that are going to make you uncomfortable, the people that are going to speak into your life. Every addiction is conquered the same way. It's that identity, that purpose, and those people. And when we can make the decision to leverage our days and our time in wise ways, gathered with people that we're eyeball to eyeball with, connected with, that's where it happens. I'm going to tell you right now, nothing is going to change for you in this room. Nothing ever does. Now, you may look back on this day as the day where everything changed, but you wouldn't be honest with yourself. Because you see, an event only makes you make a decision. Decisions are worthless. Decisions followed up with a process. Ooh, now we're cooking with gas. You see, you make a decision here today and you follow it up with a trip to CR on Monday or Tuesday. Now we're cooking. Believe it or not, right now we're up about 75% or 50%. I forget what they said. It's one of those real big numbers of new visitors to celebrate recovery. So this is the time to go. You know, you want to show up and like, I'm new. Yeah, so it's like 1,500 other people. You know, just come on in. You'll be in. You'll feel good. You won't feel awkward or weird. You can be a part of this thing and you can find health and healing. I know I sound like an infomercial. You know, if you act now, you know, I don't care. If it gets you there, I don't care. And so, so many of you across all of our campuses have chosen that. I think it's awesome. I'm going to invite the band to come out. And join me on stage. We're going to celebrate communion together. Before we do that, though, I want to share with you a letter. It's actually a blog that was written. It was written by our campus director. Many of you know Kristen Schoenbeck. You know that she's absolutely an incredible speaker, but what you may not know is she's actually a very, very gifted writer as well. She was asked to write our Kensington blog this week on body. 
And what she wrote, I had the opportunity to read today, and it was just so moving to me that I wanted to share it with you, just in case you didn't get around to reading it online. This is what she wrote. I am fat. No matter what I weigh, I see fat. There's always a pair of pants I can't fit into, a smaller size mocking me from the hanger, dancing with the light on the rack because it is beautiful, popular, confident, and envied. All the things I will never be because I can't fit my thick body into it. I have allowed the scale, the mirror, people's comments, and social media to define me. I have given them authority to remind me that I will never be good enough. I've listened to the shame-filled whispers in my mind too long. Today, it stops. Today, I change my mind. Today, I choose to come into agreement with God when he says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Today, I stare at my frame in the mirror and I apologize to my body. You've been good to me, body. You've been faithful to me when I have been ashamed of you. You have given me good gifts of sight and taste and smell when the only attention I have given to you has been the hope to change you, to make you more socially acceptable, to make you more attractive to others. Hair, how I pulled you into tight ponytails to straighten every strand of you instead of letting you naturally be free to frizz up and curl. You're healthy and beautiful and have a life of your own. I'm sorry I let the magazines tell me you should be sleek, shiny, and look like plastic. Arms, you rock. You've been twisted, broken, and called upon to carry the heavy loads. I apologize I covered you in long sleeves so no one would see you age. You've earned the loose skin under your upper muscle. You wear it with grace. Veins, I have hated you the most. You have thin walls and have expanded to carry my life-giving blood through my body. You protrude. You have faithfully carried oxygen and nutrients throughout my body, never taking a day off, never resting. I apologize for the multiple times I've crossed my legs in humiliation and fear that you would be seen. Thank you for your unfailing service. I'm grateful. Going forward, I'm going to engage in self-compassion instead of self-condemnation. I'm going to thank God for the beautiful, miraculous piece of artwork that you are daily. I'm going to take care of you because I value you, not because I want to change you. I'm going to give you healthy food out of love rather than to fit into a dress size. God made me. God says I am his masterpiece. Not the, not the practice sketch. The final, most significant rendering. I am beautiful. Today, I agree. We're going to celebrate communion together. Because communion is meant to be a reminder. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting with his disciples and he passed around bread. And they each took a piece and as they ate it, he said, eat this bread. It represents my body broken for you. Then he passed around the wine, and when the wine came through and everyone had some, he said, take this and drink. This is the blood that has been spilt for you. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you do it. And so it's been a sacred act and a rite that we have experienced as people of faith for thousands of years. Because it's a simple reminder that you are not the worst thing you ever did. You are not the trauma of your childhood. You are not a, a, a victim of your circumstances. You are a conqueror. You are a king or queen. You are an heir to the throne of God. You are his child and beloved. And we must recognize that. 
because it all stems from Jesus. So in a moment, our ushers are going to come through and they're going to pass out a little bread and some, some juice. Sometimes we ask you to hold on to that and we all take it together as a group. But today, during this next song, I want you to allow this to be what resonates in your heart and mind. And when you are ready, individually or maybe with your husband or wife or your loved one, receive communion. Remember what Jesus did. Make plans today to live differently based on who he says you are, the purpose he's put in you and the people you surround yourself with. Together, let's just beat this. Let's be done with it. Let's move into a place where we have a great relationship with our bodies. That they may be the vessel that carries us as the hands and feet of Christ into a darkened world.
young woman and a teenager growing up with social media, I always compared myself to other girls and other women. And I wanted to look just like that girl in that Facebook post, or I wanted to be just as perfect as that one girl on Instagram. And I was always trying to be thinner, to be prettier, to look happier, to do cooler things. And I finally have realized just recently that I don't have to be what I think is perfect. The magazines and the social media, that's not who defines what perfect is. It's God. He is the one that he sees me as perfect already. And in this song we're about to sing, there's a line that says, I'm defined by every word he says, and I'm shaped by his promises. And that's something that we all need to remember, that it isn't what's in the magazines, it's not what's on social media, it's God, that he is defining us, he is shaping us, and he is going to be the one that in the end is always going to see us as perfect. I am no
are victims. We're not victims of our childhood. We're not victims of our circumstances. We're not victims of our society. We are more than victorious with Christ in us. And when we lean on him and we lean on one another, we find the strength to break out of these unhealthy and toxic stereotypes and instead fall in love with the person God created us to be. Fall in love with him. And we march forward, locked arm in arm, accepting one another as brothers and sisters, challenging one another to never be the same. We are overcoming and we're seeing God do incredible things because of it. I want to thank you for being here today. Next week, we finish up this series talking, like I said before, about digital addiction. So uh, you definitely want to come bring your young people as well. But listen, if you are struggling with this, celebrate recovery. Make a beeline out to that table right now. They want to talk to you. Join a group. We have a group fair out there. Get in a group. Some of you are going to do that right now. I appreciate it. Until we see you next week. God bless you. You're dismissed.